Well, good evening and Merry Christmas. Folks, we got to be a little more festive and excited than that. Uh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> and that was better than I hoped, so thank you for not embarrassing me on the second go-round there. My name is Spencer Adams. I get to be the pastor of Missional Living for Church of the City. We just want to say welcome. We are so glad that you are here this evening. If you are part of the Church of the City family, you know this isn't our normal gathering spot, but welcome. If you are part of the Crestwick Baptist Church family, Welcome. It's strange to welcome you to your own spot here, but uh, thank you for allowing us to use it. We're grateful. And if you aren't normally part of either one of those communities of people, then an especially warm welcome to you and Merry Christmas. We are so delighted that you are here. A couple of things for you to take note of this evening. The first is that uh, we as Church of the City are still taking up our Christmas offering. Uh, if you are a part of the church of, church of the City and you've been around for a little bit, you know probably at least some of what that's going towards. Some of the stuff should be on the screen here in a second. But uh, we are continuing to take up that offering tonight. But uh, you can give to it by dropping money in the box at the back on your way out or by doing a text to give. Um, again, if you are part of the Church of the Sea family, you likely know what I'm talking about. Just a reminder, it's option three to give to the Christmas offering. Um, and if you are curious what that's about, that, none of this money goes into our budget, our being Church of the City. It, we're giving it away. We believe that our God has been so generous to us, generous enough to give us his son. That's what we're celebrating today, tomorrow. And uh, so we want to be generous people in return. So we've been praying and we're excited about where this money's going to go. If you're interested in, in what we're doing with this, I'd encourage you to ask someone who's a part of Church of the City and they'd love to tell you about it. Um, but those are the ways that you can give to that. Uh, the second thing for you to take note of is that uh, for us at Church of the City in January, we're starting a brand new series. We'll actually be hosting a conference called Jesus and Justice later on in January, but to sort of lead us into that, uh, Matt will be starting a series called Justice. Um, even at a time like Christmas, uh, where there's so much you know, goodwill and joy going around, we still recognize that uh, the world is not a perfect place. There's still injustice going on all around us, and we think that God cares about that, that that matters to him. And we think that the scripture is full of instances of God caring about it and talking about it. So that's what we're going to be looking at in this series. So we would love for you to join us uh, in January as we jump into that. Um, I think that's all that I have, but I get the joy. Matt has to do the serious talking here in a second. But kids, I get to read to you uh, the Christmas story from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Parents, if you need a resource um, to... You know, if you don't have a children's Bible or something, or even if you do, I can't recommend this enough to you. This is a great resource that teaches your kids how all of Scripture points to Jesus and gets us excited about his arrival. But we're going to read the story of his arrival right now. It's called, He's Here. So there will be a few pictures on the screen, but really, you want to just listen to my voice as I excitedly read this to you. He's here. Here we go. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people just as he had promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down. 
Seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands. But the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in. And when no one was looking in the darkness, he came. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph was the great, 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 great grandson of King David. One morning, this girl was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared right there in her bedroom. He was Gabriel, and he was an angel, a special messenger from heaven. When she saw the tall, shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. You don't need to be scared, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to someone else. Mary, Gabriel said, and laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary, you're going to have a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescuer. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around. The God who made the universe with just a word. The one who could do anything at all was making himself small and coming down as a baby. Wait, God was sending a baby to rescue the world? But it's too wonderful, Mary said, and felt her heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God, Gabriel said. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see, and she believed. I am God's servant, she said. Whatever God says, I will do. Sure enough, it was just as the angel had said. Nine months later, Mary was almost ready to have her baby. Now Mary and Joseph had to take a trip to Bethlehem, the town King David was from. But when they reached the little town, they found every room was full. Every bed was taken. Go away, the innkeepers told them. There isn't any place for you. Where would they stay? Soon Mary's baby would come. They couldn't find anywhere except an old tumble-down stable. So they stayed where the cows and the donkeys and the horses stayed. And there, in the stable, amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born, his baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal's feeding trough as his cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us because, of course, he had. Well, as we do amongst our church family, this is the word of the Lord. 
Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Even though it is a children's version, it is still good to be reminded that this is the good news of what we believe at this time of year. Well, back in January, I'm going to have a bit of a confession here. I began uh, something called therapy with a counselor, and it was one of the best things that I have ever done for myself. But my counselor began to challenge me on a few things, and one of the things that my counselor and therapist started challenging me on was that I didn't acknowledge how I was feeling on a regular basis. And so what I want you to invite you to do tonight is to stop for a second because many of us have rushed in here. We're going to rush out of here and we're not even going to like stop to really ponder like and reflect about like what are we, what are we doing or <laughs> how am I feeling? And I just believe that acknowledging where you're at and how you're feeling is so critical because you're created not just with a mind but with a heart. And so would you just stop for a moment? You might just close your eyes. If you're like, this is really strange. I just invite you to close your eyes. Just acknowledge. How are you feeling right now? And just ask and invite Jesus to meet you there. And then we'll keep going together. So Jesus, I thank you that you want to meet us where we're at. I thank you for the emotions that you gave us. Pray that we would acknowledge them, be thankful for them, invite you there regularly. God, thanks for the opportunity that we have to celebrate tonight the incredible miracle of Jesus. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, Christmas is one of the biggest holidays that is celebrated both by people who don't, have, have no connection to religious faith or Christianity, and by those who are followers of Jesus. Now, the great question of all of these groups of people, but those at, at, in the, within the Christian tradition understand potentially the answer to, although I'll hopefully remind you tonight, is the question of why is what Christians believe at Christmas such a big deal? Like, maybe you're here tonight, and you were invited by a friend, and, you know, you came along because it was like, well, that would be a nice thing for me to do to them. I want to show them that I'm actually, like, their good friend. But you maybe are here, and you're singing carols with us that you've heard before. You maybe know the story of what Christians are celebrating, but you might not know the why. And so what I want to do tonight in this short time that I have is answer the question of why is what Christians celebrate at Christmas time such a big deal? Or at least why is it such a big deal to Christians? Because Christians just keep talking about this baby Jesus and they keep making much of Jesus. And so why would you do that? And the short answer is this. If I were to just stop right now, give one short answer, it would be this, but of course I'm going to go on a little bit. Uh, the answer is this. At Christmas, Christians celebrate God drawing near to us so that we can draw near to him. At Christmas, Christians celebrate God drawing near to us so that we can draw near to him. That's what it's all about. Now, that statement assumes a few things, and so I want to talk a bit of what that statement assumes. And the first thing that it assumes is that there's a distance between ourselves and God, right? If you're going to draw near to someone, you assume that there's a distance between two groups of people. And so what we understand is that there is a distance that exists between ourselves and God. And case in point is look at the world around you. I mean, things do not seem to be as they ought, which generally should force you to also ask the question is, why do you think that things should be a different way? Which is actually a great way of thinking about if there is a God, 
God would probably create the world with a certain reason. He would give us certain principles, maybe morality. He would give us some form of what meaning is. And so you look at the world around you, and people are crazy, right? It's weird to say, you know, we just really hope that peace and joy comes to the world. You know, some people believe in different things to do that, but you look at the world around you, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty broken, and so Christians say there's this distance that exists between ourselves and God. And it goes back to an early story that, that the Bible talks about, which is the creation of the world. And God creates all things, good things. But he creates it with a certain intent. He creates it with a certain purpose. And the, the great climax of his creation is human beings, which he makes different than everything else. And that he creates human beings in his image, after his own likeness. It's why you are more valuable than your pet, as much as many people people in this room love their pets. You know, like if things were getting really tight financially in your home, you would probably not stop feeding your children. You would probably stop feeding your pet first. If you stopped asking, well, why would we do that? Because there's something about you that's different. And Christians say, we believe that that is the fact that God created people in his image. After his likeness, we have inerrant value because we're made like our creator. And so God creates humanity, and he creates them with an intent and with a purpose, and he also creates them to have a relationship with him. And he says to them at one point, he says, I want to be in relationship with you. I love you. I've created you. But here's what I desire for you. My desire for you is that you would tell the world what I am like, and that you would make much of me. Because if he's God, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at once, like he's, he's much to be made of. But he says, I want you to not do a couple of things. I want, you to, I want you to trust me. I want you to not not to trust me. And he says, a way that you're going to show me that you will trust me is not eating of this fruit. He gives it in the, in the form of a tree. In humanity, of course, right? Now people are like, oh, look, point your finger at, at the original humans. It's like, no, look at yourself too. Do you generally want to do day in and day out life with God? Many of us are like, no, there is no God. Some of us say, no, I'd rather, maybe there is. I'd rather be agnostic about it. There might be. I don't really want to select one because it might influence my life. And humanity, original humanity, decides the very same thing. And they say, God, we don't want to follow you. We don't, we don't want to trust you completely. We don't want to live in this perfect relationship with you. And God says, okay. They've done it, and they break the relationship, which creates this distance that you and I now feel. And it creates this distance of both a separation inside of us with God, but it also leads a separation to the things that are outside of us. I mean, there's not just brokenness in our own lives with each other and with ourselves. There's also brokenness in the world around us. And so there's this distance between ourselves and with God. So the first thing that is assumed there is that there's a distance that exists between ourselves and God, that if God is going to draw near to us, that there's a distance there. But then secondly, what this statement assumes, that if Christians celebrate God drawing near to us, we can draw near to him. It also assumes the second thing, that God must remove the distance. We can't. God must remove the distance because we are the ones that stepped out of the desired relationship that he had with us. He's got to be the one to restore the relationship. 
I've sometimes talked about and illustrated it this way. Imagine I am just a fantastic painter, which I am not a fantastic painter. Um, I am actually a really good colorer, which some of you who are my Facebook friends understand that. I have been just really taken off with my coloring. But anyways, imagine that I am just a fantastic painter, and I've created this beautiful painting on a beautiful canvas. And, you know, I've got everything just right. I've got it the way that I want it. And either one of my sons, probably at this point, maybe, maybe more Cade, although, you know, it could be both of them, Nixon or Cade. Imagine they come in and I say, listen, I want you to just leave it. Leave it. Just leave it the way it is. You know, show me that you trust me, you love me, you'll want to obey me, and just leave it. But let's say one of them is like, no, nah, you know, and they go find the paintbrushes and they start, whoosh, 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 you know. And I come back, and I'm like, what have you done? (laughs) You've ruined my canvas. You've ruined my painting right now. Because I was the one that said, hey, don't do this and show your love for me. If they're going to be forgiven, I'm the one that has to forgive them. Right? I'm the one that must make the first move towards my child and say, you know what? I forgive you. And also bear the consequences of what they have done. You know, which is either I could start over, just chuck the canvas altogether, Or, like what God does with us, is he gets involved in the mess and says, I'm going to remake it. I'm going to restore it. You see, the difference between Christianity and every other world religion is that every other world religion will tell you, you can do X, Y, Z times 50, and then you can spend eternity with God. That the distance between yourself and God or God's will be bridged. Christianity is drastically different, though. It says you actually can't do anything to bridge that relationship between yourself and God. There's nothing that you can do for that distance to be brought back together. Only God could do it for you. And so when I say that God needed to draw near to us so that we could draw near to him, there's also another key reality to that is that it's God drawing near to us. And God drawing near to us is Jesus. You see, Jesus came And Jesus said some crazy things. There's a a famous writer by the name of C.S. Lewis. Some of us have maybe heard of C.S. Lewis. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Early in his life, he was actually an atheist. He did not believe in God. And then as life went on, he started to explore. He actually started to read the Bible. And he came to an understanding. He completely changed his mind on the topic. And he said, this, what I'm reading here, is so absurd and crazy in the Bible that it must be true. Now, the way that he does this, the way that he illustrates this, he says, of Jesus specifically, Jesus is either a liar, so everything that he said he was lying about. He was either a lunatic, you know, he's just absurd, like the things that he said, he claimed to be God, or he was in fact telling the truth. And what Lewis, just thinking rationally, was like, it makes most sense to understand that Jesus was in fact telling the truth, that Jesus says that he was God, So he's both fully God, yet he's also fully man. And what God came to do was to bridge the distance. So the distance didn't need to be anymore. Now you might ask the question, well, why would God do that? I mean, you know, we totally went in the opposite direction. And likely, if you made a decision to actually be in relationship with God, you may not continue to live perfectly. And the scriptures tell us why God would actually do this, why God would act to bridge the relationship, why a father would say to his son who's destroyed his canvas, I am going to remake this because of love. 
One of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. Maybe you're not familiar with the Bible, but maybe you would have seen this on some billboard somewhere. Because it's just one of those ones. It's like, this is one that you know, very clearly says what Christians believe. It's John 3.16. It's for God so loved the world. If you just stop there, God so loved the world. I mean, that's great to know if there is a God, that God loves the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I have two sons, okay? I would struggle giving one of them for you. God had one son and he gave him, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him, in this son, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What he's saying is you can live in everlasting distance from God or through trusting in my son, the one that has bridged the distance, who's brought the relationship back together, you can have eternal life. God drawing near to us so that we could draw near to him eternally. It's incredible. And it's an crazy claim. Because if it's true, it changes everything. You know, there's an atheist uh, comedian, uh, and she's, she says that she, she thinks it's, she respects people that proselytize or share their faith. She's like, because if you think that there is a way for there to be a distance brought back together between humanity and God and that there is a way not to have that happen, of course you'd want to tell other people about it. An atheist comedian would say that, Right? And so this, this relationship has been brought back together. God does it himself. We read in Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So there's two things, right? That there must be a distance that exists. Secondly, God must make the first move, which we see that he does in Jesus. But then thirdly, with the distance restored, we can now draw near to God. With our rebellion dealt with and our relationship mended, we can draw near to God because he has drawn near to us because the Father, using my illustration of the painting, because the Father has said, you know what, I'm going to remake this. I'm going to restore it. I'm going to put it back together beautiful. No matter what you've done, I'm going to remake it and restore it. The Son can now go, Dad, you're the best, right? Like, you've forgiven me? Do you not see what I did to your painting? Yes, son, I saw it, but I forgive you. I've taken the cost of what you've done. I've brought it upon myself. Son, like, I want to be in relationship with you. And so what we are given then is an opportunity to be in relationship with this father. We can draw near to him. Now, that brings some incredible things to bear in in our lives. One thing that it brings to bear is an incredible hope We don't need to live in in separation or in anxiety, worried about, like, if there is a God, like, could he love me? Could I do enough good things to earn his favor? We can trust that Jesus has done everything necessary. The great good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I could not live, the life to be with God forever, that he died the death that we should have died, that eternal separation, and that then when he came back to life, he rescued and restored that relationship so that one day we don't, when we physically die, this is what Christians believe as well, is that when we physically die, we don't actually die forever. We continue to live eternally. So we have great hope. We have great faith. You know, Christians 
They believe not just in some, some wild story, although it sounds like a wild story. We believe in historical events. One of the things that convinced C.S. Lewis of the existence of God and that that God was Jesus Christ was when he went to the Bible and he actually began to study it and pull it apart and he saw that, wow, there's details about history here. Like this, is, this lines up. And so Christians truly believe that Jesus did come back to life. That 2,000 years ago, there was a man who lived named Jesus and that he came back to life. So it's not a blind faith. It's saying, look back there. That actually happened. And there are actual non-Christian historians who testify to the fact that Jesus came back to life. And so we take seriously what he said. I mean, if somebody was going to die, before they died, they said, I'm going to die and come back to life three days later you'd probably begin to question a little bit what they said. You might actually trust them a little bit more once they've done it. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He says, I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to come back to life. And then he does it. It's crazy. But it's where we place our hope and faith as followers of Jesus do. Thirdly, we have incredible joy. How many people in our world, and maybe even you today, are feeling like you live a life without joy? And Christians can live with the real joy that comes from understanding we have union relationship with God, but then we have an opportunity to tell other people about this amazing relationship. That this is where we find ultimate joy. That if this life is not all there is, I've got to tell people about that. So we have an incredible joy and we celebrate the fact of what we're celebrating here at Christmas. And then fourthly, we have an incredible peace. I did a funeral recently uh, for a close friend. And uh, it was one of the hardest funerals I've ever done. I'll tell you, in, in the work that I do, it's far easier to do a funeral for somebody that you don't know than somebody that you do. And the circumstances, I mean, they, this, this woman, she died and she has two sons, 24 and 21. It's only about a month and a half ago. You know, this will be their first Christmas without, without uh, mom around, you know, wife around for those there. You know, maybe you're also feeling like there's not a lot of peace in this season for you. You know, the circumstances of your life are really tricky. They're a bit crazy. You know, you've got people coming over the next few days that you'd actually rather not be around. There's not a lot of peace in your circumstances. And Christians at Christmas celebrate the fact that we don't find peace in our circumstances. We find peace in a person, and the person is Jesus Christ, who came to live the perfect life, die the death that we should have, and come back to life so we can as well. And so why is what Christians celebrate at Christmas such a big deal? And why do Christians continue to make much of it? It's because of this. God drew near to us so that we could draw near to him. God drew near to us so that we could draw near to him. I mean, beyond the simple story of Jesus in a manger is the fact that this is God drawing near to us so that we can draw near to him. Points to the fact that a number of years later, Jesus would die as I said, and then he would come back to life. And if this did happen, friends, this should change everything for you. It should change everything that God drew near to us so that we can draw near to him. It's the best news ever. I hope maybe if this is your first time ever hearing it, that you would trust in this news. As John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him. So maybe this is the first Christmas that you actually begin celebrate, celebrating what Christians have been celebrating for years. That God came, that he drew near to us so that we could draw near to him. If you were brought by a friend, I'd encourage you over the next few days to ask them about this, what that means for their life. 
maybe this will be the first Christmas and then next Christmas will be the first Christmas you begin celebrating with the why as well. Let me pray for you. So God, we thank you. I thank you so much that you humbled yourself. That because of your love, you did not look at the canvas of this world and say it's irredeemable, it's irreconcilable. You said, no, I'm going to get myself involved in the mess like a father would restore the canvas. And I think you one day, we look forward to the day, Jesus, when you say that you will actually return, that you will remove tears, you'll remove pain, you'll remove any hardship, you'll remove anxiety, you'll remove depression. And we read in the end that you will actually draw, um, draw and live and dwell among your people. And so, God, we look forward to that day. No more tears, no more sadness, no more pain. And so we want to celebrate you you today, Jesus, for all that you've done. Thank you that you drew near to us so we can draw near to you. Amen.